Super Talk Mississippi media production. Moondog Makers and Bakers Catering Services. Taking ordinary to extraordinary. Personal and home private nights to massive events. From wood-fired pizzas to full gras. Get your three-pack spice blend of moon dust, moon crust, and moon rocks. Hashtag what is Moondog? Familiar food done differently. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi, Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. We've got Rhino in studio today. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Super Talk Mississippi app. Of course, you can always find us on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. And you can watch us, too. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com. You'll see my friend, Nicole Smith. She's with the Mississippi Museum of Natural mm-hmm. Science, who always has good things going on. Hey. Nicole. Hey, Rebecca. How's it going? I'm not going to complain because the weather is absolutely amazing, at least for now. But I know the weather, Mississippi's weather, has thrown a monkey in you guys' wrench. So what's going on? (laughs) That's that's an accurate statement. Uh, Yes. So uh, an event I've been planning for a year, Moonlight Music and Meteors, is now rescheduling. It was supposed to be this Friday. Uh, with the Mississippi Symphony, and now it's going to be May nineteenth. But that's okay. That that's how it's that's how the weather r- rolls sometimes. Um, so it's going to be raining us out on Friday, and then it's that brings a cold front, and the cold front's going to drop the temperature to the point where the instruments um, really don't function well on what was our original backup rain date on Sunday. So. My plan A and my plan B have gone sideways, and now we're opting for plan C, and it's going to be fine. <laughs> it's going to be fine. You know, third time is the charm, as they say, Nicole, and usually I find that things work out just the way that they were uh, supposed to when stuff like that sort of happens out of your control. But, hey, that's that's part of it. But, you know, you bring up a good point, too, when we talk about all these great events, not just at the Natural Science uh, or the Museum of Natural Science, but anywhere. You've been working on it a year it's not like you just yeah. last week, you know, sort of decided on it. It's a lot of effort <laughs> goes into it. But that, that's not the only thing coming up. You guys have plenty to talk about. So what else as we move into y'all's oh, best season, wow. spring and summer, is going on? Oh, yeah, boy. We are action-packed. Uh, so we've got a lot going on. As we roll out of April, uh, we've got a few things to top at the top of the month. So we've got the Owl Prowl. Uh, that's fun to say. I'll prowl. That's coming up on May the 5th. And that one's a limited attendance thing because it's entirely outdoors in the woods behind the museum. So you're going it, to, it's going to be, it's really, really cool. Uh, Katie Tupi, one of our wonderful educators coordinates this one. And, um, and so we have a resident bard owl. So he's going to come out to say hello to everybody, but, uh, bring your flashlight. You'll join us for a secret tour of the of the wilds of mississippi here behind the museum to meet our nocturnal world uh we're going to have guided nature hikes we're going to have live animal programs 
uh, discovery activities for the kids. There's even going to be some s'mores made, so very, very cool. Uh, so dress comfortably, and there will be concessions available. So it's going to be a really lovely night. Uh, limited attendance so we can he- keep the quality of the experience uh, optimal on the trail. So that one's going to be a really great one. Nicole, do you and need to buy your tickets day, because- before that since it's limited? I would hate to show up hungry after dark and they get turned away. <laughs> it's been sold uh, out. So no, I think they've, had, they've got that all worked out with ticket links. Uh, the, the links should be on the website. So that should be really good. Um and, and there's a discount if you're a member, so uh, another p- perk of membership right there. Uh, the next thing that's coming is uh, the very next day, why not do everything in the same weekend, right? <laughs> do it all. Uh, the next thing is called Marine Discovery Day, and I've been working on this one for about six months with the uh, Department of Marine Resources. So this is a brand-new event from the ground up, everything marine, so I have got – Oh, my gosh, all sorts of scientists and uh, uh, environmentalists and specialists from across um, the Gulf are coming up to us, and they're going to be showcasing their research. So you're going to learn about sea turtles. You're going to be learning about sharks. You're going to get a chance to do a sample blood draw, um, you know, from a sea turtle. Uh, We even have a specialist here, one of the um, NASA Consortium grant winners, uh, a lot of people don't realize that NASA supports a variety of scientific research. And she's going to be doing work with uh, eDNA for sea turtles, which is kind of amazing how you can take a sample of seawater, actually, and actually find out uh, what turtles are living in the area. It, it tells you what's been there. It's uh, like forensics, but um, turtle style, which is going to be pretty cool. Uh, and there's so much going on Um at that event, we even have a, a food truck who's selling a shrimp tacos. So they're going to be Gulf shrimp, you know, for the day. And, um, yeah, I tried to recruit you for that. That's right, Rebecca. I tried to get you to be my, <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, but it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be most of the day. So, uh, you need a beautiful day out. We're going to have you covered for that. And, uh, it's not to be missed. It, it, you can say, I was there at the first annual Marine Discovery Day. So very, very cool. I think it's cool just the stuff that you get to learn at your different events, too, and that you can always learn there at the Museum of Natural Science um, because sometimes it's often overlooked, and then when folks finally go, they go, oh, man, I I completely forgot about making that stop or putting that on our to-do list um, one weekend. But another thing y'all do so well is uh, in the summer in terms of camps, enrichment activities, and all of that, Nicole. Um, Are you geared up to talk about that, or is that for... A little bit later in May. Uh, no, so well, we started camp registration March 1st. So, oh, so we're late are, to the party. <laughs> yeah, we're a little late. Uh, camp is almost full, but there are still a room, still some places that are available. You can go on our website and look up the camp info, look for your age group. And if you try to register and it doesn't let you in, then you know it's full. <laughs> uh, but we do try to update that and say if something's full. Um, if, uh, if you get in, then you got in, that's great. It is, I, I'm okay. I'm going to brag a little bit. Um, toot, toot. I have been, ble- I've been blessed to work in some really fantastic places. I used to work at McWayne science center. I used to work at Rougher mountain nature center. Um, I've worked in schools. I, I've worked a lot of incredible places 
and I've done every kind of camp you can just about imagine, you know, from park camp to like truly primitive camping, you know, situations, all outdoors camp. This is the best camp I've ever seen. You know, it is uh, truly integrated as far as there's art, there's science, there's a, a real introduction to what it is to be a scientist while still having outdoor play and joyfulness. You know, all of our staff, every one of them are uh, trained in first aid and CPR. So we've got the safety thing going. Uh, in fact, I get my recertification next Wednesday. So that's my next, you know, um, going thing going on. Um it's incredible. I mean, it really is incredible. The older kids get a chance to do an overnight camp. Um, the younger kids have a day camp option. We really do work with just about every age there is out there. Uh, and that's, and that's something not everybody does. And it's not like throughout the whole summer. It's not like you give me your six year old and, you know, June 1st and I give back to you before school starts. In August. Yeah. That'd like, be but great. every week is an age group. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Uh, every <laughs> every week is an age group, and uh, and we put a lot of thought in it. We start planning summer camp, the new summer, at the end of the old one, and uh, and we get really earnest about it around Christmas. We really get our you know new plans going. So it's it's something. It's a meaningful experience. There's never enough opportunity to connect nature. There will be canoeing for certain ages there's archery for a lot of the ages of it it's it's a wonderful thing well the museum's wonderful too if you're just passing through or you're trying to figure out something to do if you're coming to visit grandparents or you're going to have your grandchildren come visit you during uh spring i mean spring break during summertime or what what not what exhibits if we don't make the events or if we can't do camp Ooh. nicole right now what exhibits are out and about there at the museum so that's a great question. Um, so not everybody knows this, but the exhibits change every six months. So at least twice a year, you're seeing brand new exhibits. Uh, right now we have from here to there, and it is so playful and it is so much fun. It's like, imagine Richard Scarry's busy town, but kind of without the critters, it's more about all the physics side of it, but keeping it as playful and for little, I mean, from little kids on up to adults. Um, we have a hovercraft chair that you can ride. You can like build your own airplanes and like see how, I mean, it's just, it's so awesome. I'm going to really miss it when it goes. It's so much fun. Uh, and that one's here until May 7th. In fact, uh, that Marine Discovery Day we talked about, May 6th, that's its last weekend. So that's our big last hurrah for it. Um, boats, transportation are also part of that exhibit. Anything transportation, but they added the physics playfulness of it. That's part of that exhibit. Um, the next one coming, uh, oh, we're that's working right on there. That hey, about stop there, Nicole. Hang with us, and we'll share what's coming to the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science coming up next. <laughs> Making your afternoon just a little brighter. 
It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. good things don't forget you can listen live over at supertalk.fm you can always find us on your local supertalk mississippi radio station you can watch us too at supertalktv.com on your computer or your mobile device nicole from the mississippi museum of natural science you set us up for the new exhibit that's coming reminding us that the current exhibit is going out like a flash on may the 7th but then there'll be something new and fresh this summer so what's coming Okay, I get really excited when anyone lets me talk about prehistoric things. Uh, I kind of joke it's the once and future exhibit, anything prehistoric. So uh, the new one's called Permian Monsters, Life Before the Dinosaurs. And so if you thought the dinosaurs were ancient things, you're about to see their great, 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 great grandparents. Um, The biggest extinction uh, of history was the Permo-Triassic extinction. And it makes like what happened at the end of Cretaceous look like someone just turned the lights out. You know, like it's a, it's a really big distinction. Um, and this exhibit's mind-bogglingly huge. You know, it's going to take up all of our traveling space. It's going to take up the entirety of the atrium, and it might spin out a little bit more. So you're going to see, like, the para-reptiles. You're going to see uh, the proto-amphibians. You're going to see basically all the things that were the ancestors of life as we know it. Even uh, the therapsids, which are like the earliest ancestors of mammals. So it's pretty exciting. Like some of it's animatronics. Some of them are actual uh, fossil specimens. Uh, some of it's games, you know, for kids to play so they can learn about it. It's, um, it's different and it's cool. And it's um, interestingly a time period that is not represented uh, geologically here in Mississippi. So it's really nice to kind of show a broader scale of connection across the world. Uh, We've even got a gentleman coming from Texas. um, When the event opens, uh, when the exhibit opens to the public, and he's bringing an actual Permian monster, he's bringing a Dimetrodon skeleton. So we're like, we're very excited about seeing the real deal up close. So we're bringing our own Permian monster to the party. So it's going to be pretty great. (laughs) When will that, when will it be open to the public, Nicole? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it's going to be at the very, I forgot about that. It's the very end of May. Let me check my handy dandy calendar here. Uh, it's open to the public on the 27th of May. That's when we'll be. If you're a member, yeah, but members get a special preview like the night before. So if you're a member, you'll get the invitation and you'll see a preview before the rest of the public does. And then if you're not yet a member, and still kind of thinking about it. The next day, it will be uh, open to you that Saturday. So Friday night premiere for the members, and then Saturday open to all the world. I'm always curious how these things change out, because if you've ever been and you see all these exhibits and they're so eloquently positioned and hung and, you know, set up, and then you wonder, like, how do they tear it all down? And where does the stuff that stay there end up going whenever you've got a new exhibit coming in? Do you all have, like, a basement? Like, what will and it? Will it take one day or two days? You know, Disney can go from season to season overnight. And so, you know, they've got that down to a science. So what's it like there at the museum when y'all are switching exhibits? Stressful. Uh, I think the word you're looking for is stressful. <laughs> uh, it's um, my best analogy is: Have you ever made an omelet? 
you know, an omelet is a perfect, wonderful, whole and complete, you know, nutritional thing. But to make that omelet, you have to break some eggs. So for us, that means breaking down an existing exhibit and, um, and it's an imperfect analogy, but you know, you break down that existing exhibit and you, you have to pack it and it can take some time depending on the size of the exhibit. The very large exhibits could take two to three weeks to break down. And a new and a new one can take almost that long. We normally do a pretty tight turnaround with a very small staff. Um, so normally, from a breakdown to a reinstallation of a new one can be about three weeks. Are these exhibits like traveling exhibits, like art shows or art exhibits are? Like they'll stay at here for a while and then they'll get back on their bus and they'll take mm-hmm. them to somewhere else? Or are you guys actually putting these mm-hmm. things together? And getting the all the th- you know all the things. So normally they're rented. Uh, they normally come from facilities whose like mission in life is to create an educational and scientifically accurate uh, model. And so we're always on the lookout for a quality material. And so that can take a while. Um, Sorry, everybody's trying to call me while we're having this phone call. Because they're watching us on uh, Super Talk uh, TV, and they're like, oh, I remember Nicole. I need to send her a text. I need to give her a call. It's just Murphy's Law around here. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but so it just it takes a while to break something down and to, re, to, to install something new, and it takes a while to identify the right uh, thing. Normally, we kind of... It takes about a year out. We try to plan things at least a year out, if not three, uh, about what exhibit's coming because of availability. A lot of things get booked up really um, well in advance, and it takes some time to get on their schedule, to do some fundraising, to be able to rent those things. So we are always looking for sponsors and, um, you know, people that are willing to be a part of that. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. It really is a neat way that community comes together. Because I think any place where science is your primary language is where good things happen. Well, I like that. Have you ever had an exhibit come back twice? All the tough questions Mm, for you today, Nicole. (laughs) No, these are all good questions. I do not think I have seen one that has returned here. Uh, You know, there's one or two we would kind of love to have back uh, again, like the dinosaur named Sue. She was she was amazing. Right. T-Rex named Sue, uh, but she's really popular and, uh, and hard to get. And uh, one of my favorites we ever had was called Hunters of the Sky, and it was about the birds of prey, and it was mind-bogglingly huge. But it was, um, gosh, it was so informative and really interesting, and the kids loved it. And the, uh, the big ones, are real, they make a big impact. Like Ripley's Believe It or Not, when we had that, we had way too much fun with programming. It let us, like, go crazy we went crazy we did a lot of crazy stuff during ripley so that was fun <laughs> How, nicole i saw you just uh, celebrated an anniversary there at the museum how many years have you worked at the mississippi uh, museum of natural science oh well um, you just celebrated yeah, well, it uh 18 years i guess 18 years in this location yeah <laughs> what keeps you excited about sharing natural science with Mississippi? Oh, my God. Oh, geez. Like, I, this is what I would do for fun. You know, this is, I mean, that they pay me, that's awesome. I, you know, I like that idea. But, um, but no, I love this. Anything, 
think of the time that you found a, a book you loved. You wanted to tell your friends about it, right? Or you found a new recipe that you thought was the best thing ever. And of course, you're going to cook it and, you know, for, for the people you love. It's just about the joy of sharing the things which give you joy. Um, science makes the world a better place. And I think the more that we understand about the world around us, the better chance we have to make the world a better place. And I, I think there's nothing but good things that can come from all of that. When you were a little girl, when did it click for you that that's what you wanted to do when you grew up? Six years old. Um, I You knew grew that so quick, and, and the rest of it you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew when I was six that I wanted to do something with, uh, with life, animal life, and I thought it might be in the form of being a veterinarian. I thought it might be in the form of being a teacher. And um, in the end, it ended up being a wildlife conservation educator. So uh, it just kind of took a lot of different forms. Uh, I studied geology in college. I studied anthropology in college, um, which uh, they're just beautiful sciences. And it, I, I feel like everything I studied, I had a chance to apply and do have a regular chance to apply. So I don't feel like one moment of my education was wasted. I feel like it's been a blessing and I hope it, does good things for the people around me. One thing I love about natural science is it's something that sparks interest not only in the children, but also adults. You're you're never too Mm -hmm. old to learn something new and cool about your environment around you. And so that's one thing I enjoy about when we go as a family to the Museum of Natural Sciences. Just I learn stuff, too, and our kids learn stuff, and then we have a good time, and it's a whole thing. And so where can we go to keep up with all the events, to get our memberships if we choose, to plan our summer vacations, all the things? Wow. Okay, so we have a really great Facebook. So if you're on social, we do a lot of our promotions there because that's in the budget. (laughs) Social media is in the budget. Uh, We have a website, uh, Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. The museum's on that. So if you just have a little Google experience of Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, you will find us and you'll see our calendar of everything. Uh, If you are a member, you get the emailer that shows you all the stuff personally so that it's really easy to kind of swipe by, you know, a website. But if you get an email, you might read it. So, you know, we get that out there, too. And um, we take volunteers. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. So if you have uh, anything that you want to... uh, get involved in uh, living and working at the museum is like living and working in a village. We have everything from accountants to customer service people to scientists to educators. I mean, it's Bird nerds and everybody, right, Nicole? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, I love you, Nicole. Thank you for keeping us updated. I look forward to having you back. I appreciate your time. But you guys stick with us. we got more coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Run, boy, run. This world is not meant for you. Run, boy, run. 
Welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget, you can watch us on computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com. And this past Monday, the 127th installment of the Boston Marathon took place in Boston. They had nearly 30,000 athletes featured over more than 100 countries. And I know of at least three out of Mississippi who took to the start line and saw their way to the finish line. And one is joining us today, Daniel Sullivan. Um, he is a Boston Marathoner finish, and he is there in the Pine Belt area. And, yeah, welcome. And congratulations, Daniel. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I appreciate that. So I caught wind of your story because Luke Johnson, host of our Eagle Hour that came on before Good Things, um, obviously was following your way. Now folks can follow runners from the comfort of their own home while y'all are out there suffering in the miles. And I found it super encouraging and interesting. So so where are you? Are you in Hattiesburg or Laurel? Where, where's home for you? I am in Laurel. I'm a few minutes away from West Jones High School. And you work on staff there with Luke Johnson and obviously at his church and then find time to run in your spare time, I'm sure. So when did your when did you start running? Because the Boston Marathon is like, you know, the Super Bowl for you would say weekend warriors in terms of running. Sure. Right. Um, I casually ran when I was in college. Um, I played tennis at Jones. But I didn't really start, um, I guess you'd call it training, um, but taking it more seriously until about two, two and a half years ago or so. So um, for the past two years, I have run every single day at least one single mile, um, but most of the time more than that. Was that like an intentional decision that you just wanted to see if you could go a year in getting a mile in every day? And are they all ran or do you like walk in a really long parking lot and count that as a mile you know i um i have a friend named blake who has been what they call streak running uh i mean you know running every single day um he's been doing it he's coming on seven years and so he happened to talk me into it um trying to do it just for the challenge of it and it's it is. I don't know what the the technical difference between running, jogging, or or walking would be as far as a, a minute per mile pace or anything like that. But it's always been at least a mile running. Well, that's pretty impressive. Well, you went twenty six point two this past Monday. When was your first marathon? Because you have to have had to do at least one because there's the qualification to get into the Boston Marathon, which is on so many runners' bucket lists or or something they're aiming to achieve. So, when was your first one? Right. Um, I have been very blessed to have said this was only my second marathon. My first one was in. December of 2021, it was the Mississippi Gulf Coast Marathon. And you ran that in what? That one I ran um, at 2.54, so two hours and 54 minutes. That's 26.2 miles. What pace was that? I know you know. It was around 6.40, six minutes and 40 seconds a mile. Do you know what you had to make to get in because your age group there for, for Boston? Uh, for my specific age group, the qualifying time was three hours on the dot. Um, now, with that being said, in years past, Boston has had so many people um, hit that qualifying time that they ended up having to um, put in like a buffer time, if you would, um, and that would be only the fastest people out of that. And so in years past, that buffer time has been anywhere from five to seven minutes. 
underneath the qualifying time. So I I really thought my goal was 255 because I thought five minutes under the qualifying time would be a, a relatively safe uh, spot to be in. So you knew going into the Gulf Coast Marathon that if you made it, you were wanting to make it to Boston. So what was it like knowing you made that accomplishment and you were going to have to book the plane tickets? It was pretty incredible. Um, I will say there was a, a waiting um, after you qualify and you apply for um, the spot to Boston, there is um, a certain amount of waiting that you have to do to hear back from them just because I, I assume all of the logistics and however many people apply and so on and so forth on their end that you have to wait on them to tell you whether or not you were accepted. And so and that part was pretty nerve-wracking in that uh, I knew that I had a, a good time. I just didn't know if it was good enough um, based on what the buffer time underneath the qualifier would actually be. But once I got that news that uh, I had been accepted, it was it was butterflies for a little while, and then it was time to buckle down and start training hard. Well, this is a, a special race. I mean, it's the 127th Boston Marathon. This year was particularly special because it was the 10th anniversary of the unfortunate bombings that happened uh, there that we all remember, the infamous bombings, you could say it that way. So what was it like once you got to Boston? What's the sort of feel in the air? I know everybody walking around is fit and drinking their water and eating their carbs, but <laughs> what's sort of the spirit of Boston like once you get there on race weekend? Uh, we got there somewhere in the middle of the week last week, which was really nice. We had uh, enough time set aside to be there a little bit earlier. Um, and as the, the days went on, you could, the, the energy was tangible almost. You could, you could feel the energy in the city growing more and more. And, and granted, some of that was the runners coming in, obviously, but I really think that the city itself kind of, um, they celebrate what the Boston Marathon is. It's very prestigious, and um, the city itself really rallies around the runners like um, like I haven't experienced in any other sport. And so the energy was high. You could tell that people were very excited um, and really looking forward to being a part of what was going to happen on that Marathon Monday. So what would you eat for breakfast on Monday morning? What would you have pre-run? Well, they say nothing new on race day, and I am a creature of habit. So I had um, a, a pack of blueberry Pop-Tarts and a sugar-free Red Bull, which is probably not, you know, um, peak athleticism as far as counting carbs and, and your macros, but it is what I have eaten most days. Uh, before big long runs just because it's what I'm used to and I know that it will settle well in my stomach and I'll be fine with it. When I was training for my two marathons which you could have ran four in the time it took me to run my two <laughs> I always had my mama's spaghetti the night before a long run so I get the I get that in terms of uh, being consistent. Okay so what was it like crossing the finish line? I think there were probably a lot of emotions going through my head, um, as well as you could probably attest to this. When you're at the end of a marathon, you're almost you're almost on autopilot in that you are so tired and and everything is you've used up all your mental and physical resources. But I, it was it was special because it was the culmination of four months of training. 
it was the culmination of two years of running consistently. Um, and it was the culmination of, for me, uh, a couple hours of hard work um, on the day. Um, it rained a little bit, and so there was some mental toughness that I had to go through to figure out how I was going to keep one foot going in front of the other without trying to uh, blow up towards the end of it. And then I crossed the line, and there was just a relief as well as kind of a wave of uh, gratitude and just general thankfulness for just the opportunity to get to be a part of something so big and so um, so special. And you broke your best time. So what was your time there at Boston? My time uh, on the day was two hours and 51 minutes. Uh, I, I told my friends and family going into it that the goal was two hours and 50 minutes, but I am ecstatic with two hours and 51. I had obviously never run on the course. And if you know anything about the course, there are some yes. pretty major hills from mile 16 to 21 um, and I didn't really know how I would hold up against those hills the, like I mentioned earlier the only marathon that I've run so far was on the Gulf Coast and it's relatively flat until the end of it so um, there was a, a few unknowns as far as what to expect um, physically and mentally at that point in the race and it rained uh, a little bit nothing compared to uh, years past, but there was that as well. But I was ecstatic with, with hitting two hours and 51 minutes. It was, um, there was, there was a huge smile on my face when I saw the finish line. Please tell me you ate something better than a Pop-Tart when you crossed the finish line. Oh, I ate everything that they would hand to me. Um, it was funny. I, I told my son I've got a five-year-old and he loves to eat bananas and I'm, I'm okay on bananas, but, uh, on the day they were handing out bananas. And I got a hold of one, and I don't know if it was um, just how cold it was around me or if it was actually as warm as I thought it was. But it was the first time in my life that I ate a warm banana, and I was very, very thankful for having that (laughs) warm banana. Well, I thank you for your time, Daniel. Again, congratulations on your success, and we can't wait to hear what you run again. And, yeah, congratulations, bud. Of course. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. All right. You guys stick with us. we got more for you coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She's smart and pretty. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. been contacted about the Morgan Wallen tickets, you didn't win. <laughs> but everything is going to be all right. So yeah, welcome back to Good Things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. All Morgan Wallen tickets have been, or ticket winners, have been contacted and secured now. So, uh, But you never know when, not for that concert that's gone, but you never know when you'll get an opportunity to win something cool. So 
that's a good reason to stay tuned to Super Talk. So congratulations to those who won. Thank you, everyone, who at least threw your name in the hat or uh, did the contest through the app. We appreciate you. And it goes to show, hey, we can do other fun things here, and you guys will respond to it, so you never know. Talking about uh, the Boston Marathon, I did find or do know of at least two other Mississippians that were there. The most notable story, though, is 81-year-old Kenneth Williams of Corinth. He completed his 22nd Boston Marathon, so that's 26.2 miles. I don't know his time, but how amazing is that? So if you think about it, math is hard, and I don't know if they were all in consecutive years, but that would be over the span of 81. He has at least been in the physical shape for 22 of those years to make it to whatever the cutoff is. Now, as you get older, they give you a little bit more grace. But, hey, Daniel's 30 and it's still under three hours. I don't know about you and if you've ever ran or done half marathons or anything, but that's moving to hold that kind of pace. I could do it on a moped. (laughs) It's for six minutes and why it's always been held in such regard as being like the ultimate race to sort of for weekend runners or weekend um, in, uh, fitness enthusiasts to be able to make it to because it's open to everybody who can just make the time. And um, yes, yeah, so I think that's cool. And then Kelsey Shoemate uh, from Central Mississippi, she also uh, finished uh, the 127th Boston Marathon. If you know others, we can celebrate them as well. Those were just the three that I knew of. Something though special is happening there today that I thought was really sweet. They're going to have over 100 golden retrievers that are meeting up at the finish line and it's dubbed the Boston Marathon um, Golden Retriever Meetup. So if you know anything about the race, there was a, a golden retriever who always was there at the end of the finish line wearing his little yellow whatever. He always had a little flag that said Boston Strong that he would wave over the last 10 years. His name was Spencer. He was the official race dog. And he passed away from um, from cancer. And so it was a way of paying honor to him, which I think is so sweet. Um, and all the some of the funds went to the Morris Animal Foundation's uh, canine cancer research. So just something cool to see. And who wouldn't want 100? Well, I wouldn't want them in my house because of the hair. But 100 golden retrievers to show up and go for a little run, I think. Someone may not have really thought that through because there's going to be a lot of little baggies that are going to have to follow around and some extra cleanup. That is going to have to happen, but I think it would be. You could not fun. find a more fun way to spend at least five minutes with a tennis ball than with a golden retriever. Than a hundred golden retrievers. Oh, a hundred golden retrievers, which is one ball. That would be madness. Oh, what if you just like dropped like a whole garbage can full, full of tennis of balls just and just let them, them bounce, bounce down the street the and they run crazy? That would be something to witness and watch. And then what if you lost your dog? They all look the same. And so it would be like, hey, um, you, out of a hundred, few of them are named the same thing. And then you make sure you're going back with the same, with the right dog. I mean, a good golden retriever. It's really hard to tell them. They don't have – they don't lend much to to know that they're different. Like with boxer breeds, you have the different – patchings of the um, eyes or, or spots. Or I was just whatever. thinking personality-wise, you you got some golden retrievers. They don't care what you call them as long as you pet them. They just, I'm happy to be here. And their tail wags. It's like a lethal weapon. But if you have goldens, you are hook, line, and sinker. Those are your dogs. That's what you prefer, and you don't ever want to go back. But you would, like out of 100 of them. It's like looking like looking at, I don't know what the word would be for 100, twins, triplets, whatever. A bunch of them. Centuplets? Centup. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you. 
I don't think it's physically possible for any <laughs> species, so I don't think they came up with a word for it yet. <laughs> well, I'll take that back. Frogs have hundreds of kids. But that's They're it. not all the same. Yes, that's not um, the same. They're not mammals. I just started feeling really bad for the golden retriever mama who would have had that many different animals. But no, it's a good day. I hope it encourages you to pick up. Well, wait a second. You had 101 Dalmatians. Somebody should have thought of the the name for this this grouping. But did it come from the same Dalmatians? No, those were all collected by the evil Cruella DeVille to make a coat out of. Well, this is a positive family show. You're going to have to wrap (laughs) this up into something... Heartwarming to send us off in. I don't know about heartwarming, but talking about all the running, I did see an article where uh, one lady that's a hardcore ultra marathoner that does those like 50 mile runs got a win taken away because she took part of the trip in a car. See, that's smart though. She was innovative. All right, stick with us. She got more coming up next. She got the Boys with Sports Talk Mississippi from 3 to 6. Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at 2. But until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. Mississippi Media Production.